0: Welcome to Agile Clips, where we break down Agile into manageable pieces. In today's episode, we discuss a variety of topics, including prioritizing initiatives, keeping everyone aligned with priorities, Agile planning and execution.
1: Hi, Steve. Hey, Santosh. Whenever you start a new assignment, uh, what what are the scenarios? Uh, small company, startup, uh, large company, enterprise, uh, completely lost enterprise, kind of. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, what I've noticed is that when you go into a startup, usually the vision of the founders is still pretty clear and everybody knows where they're going and they don't have a lot of projects going on. They're so focused and where they need most help is really in the technical practices if they haven't come from an agile background. So then it's really a question of making sure that if they're using Scrum, they're following the right approach in terms of the... um, the ceremonies, I hate that word ceremonies, that's why I was humming and <laughs> ring because it makes it sound like it's of no value.
1: Yeah, <laughs> anytime they say ceremony, I feel like, oh, there is going to be a band there, there's going to be some yes. dance around there. <laughs> you know?
0: Exactly. It's
1: like, you know, so somebody's giving some award ceremony kind of things, it's like, wow. <laughs> but, but anyway, you know, uh, instead of calling a meeting, ceremonies looks a
0: little better. Yes, I suppose so. Anyway, (laughs) if they are not doing the planning correctly, if they're not doing the retrospectives, you can really help the teams become more predictable. Yeah, I sometimes uh, think that this is
1: like doing agile and being agile. There's a lot of differences. So you you might be just going through the motions and uh, may not mean anything to you. That that's why sometimes they're like, yeah, we are doing agile, but it's not producing the results.
0: Right, so- right. So it's um, anyway in in that kind of environment, it's really the technical practices where you can bring the biggest value. On the other hand, when you go into a large enterprise, what is equally important is to make sure that people are really working on the right initiatives. Mm-hmm. And time and time again, I've seen companies where there are so many projects going on. They're pet projects of some manager or other. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nobody knows what's going on. And then all of a sudden, the uh,
1: direction changes because somebody else um, has like this is most urgent. But the other other thing that I notice, even at the uh, you know smaller scale uh, companies, sometimes they look at the the vision and then they just run with it and then nobody looks back and saying are we still aligned with the vision or not and because they they go into the weeds and uh, they're so close to the technical problem or solving that or all of a sudden uh, they see oh this is a new way of doing things and they see some, some new shiny object and they start implementing that so we're looking at, wait a, wait a minute, what happened to the deliverable? So where is the customer? And uh, th- those those are the kinds of, um, I guess, visibility issues start at that, you know, that enthusiastic uh, approach to get that done. So that's another thing that I have that seen. And uh, other thing that I, I noticed at the startup level is the um, funding uh, organizations. They are looking for getting the product out as soon as possible so they are always looking for hey when am i going to see this actually functioning in my customer's hand and i'm going to get, start getting the feedback on on that and that something sometimes gets lost in translation because there uh, the, the the management or the vision of what the product is going to look like and the technical teams product uh, vision is a little bit skewed sometimes, just to aligning them together. Are those aligned yet?
0: Are you talking to each other? Oh, yeah. you're, you're opening about 20 topics that I would like to <laughs> go into. So um, one of them, just something I heard, but I really like this concept that even as a product owner talks to the team about what needs to be built, they should have the team reflect back verbally and say this is what we understand that you want because until you do that you can never be sure that people really understood the direction
1: exactly and and, and you know the those acceptance criteria especially when you have the teams uh, geographically distributed uh, those can be those words can be m- completely misunderstood uh, and absolutely what, you know, one side thinks and the other side executes it is like, huh? How did you interpret that?
0: <laughs> so I think there is a lost in translation part there, too. Oh, definitely. But the the other thing that came rushing into my mind was the idea of the product box, which is a really good technique at the beginning of a project to uh, imagine what the the box that the product will be packaged in looks like. Of course, it may not be a physical product that you're producing. It could be a cloud service. So, you know, you don't think of the box. You think of the press release or something Mm -hmm. equivalent. And that really makes, forces you to think very clearly about the objective of the project and what the product is about because it has to be succinct. And it's really good to have that posted on the walls and the team should be like, Looking at it continually, and and that also helps people keep their focus on what needs to be built. Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: and I think one of one of the I think that that relates to every story, every action that they're doing. What am I building towards that box or whatever that product uh, definition is? And everyone has to constantly ask: Is that every minute I spend? Am I building something to build that bo- you know, component of that box complete? And you know that's one thing that we always ask um, the teams is that uh, every standup uh, you have to tell me what are you what are you going to demo today? And asking that kind of question as to how and how, how does that relate to the vision of the product? Automatically, people start thinking a little differently then all the extraneous stuff goes away because they want to complete and and demo it as soon as possible. So uh, it it makes it um, a lot more relatable to the product side of things. But yeah, unless they know why they are building and how does this build uh, anything that gets into the components of it, things can get lost completely.
0: So I'm sure you've heard about... um the story of the the guy who was walking along the street and he sees some poor old person on the floor with a big hammer and rocks and he's just breaking rocks. And he says, what are you doing? And the guy says, I'm just breaking rocks. And then he goes on to the next person who's doing the same thing and he asks the same question and the guy says, I'm breaking rocks to build the wall of a temple. So... <laughs> <laughs> So people can be doing the work without having that bigger vision of why they're doing it, which is also motivating and keeps them on track and understanding what they're contributing to.
1: Yeah, I think, I think the, uh, that book, uh, the Joy Inc., that may uh, give some ideas about that as to you know, if the product owner does the demo or the customer runs the demo, it really makes the difference and then you know development team or delivery team like oh you can do this we never designed it for that <laughs> it's like that's where you know you really know what the customer wanted and then what you delivered where the gaps are or what what they were thinking when they wrote the requirements or acceptance criteria so it's a it's a very um, telling way of how interpretation can be go and the sooner you catch it then you can actually converge instead of diverge yes
0: yeah, so we're bouncing up and down all the levels of the hierarchy yes in the organization <laughs> so let's go back to uh how do you make sure that the company a company is working on the right things how do you manage the portfolio do you have well, any thoughts
1: well one of the things that that uh, i asked them to do was uh you know when you look at the portfolio or total vision Uh, then it gets broken down to say maybe a roadmap and the roadmap becomes a little different smaller components say maybe features and how you're aligning those features first thing first they need to look at can we know what is doable so if there is a value from the business side of things so for, for example cost of delay concept right they have uh, business value, the risk reduction, uh, opportunity uh, enablement and time criticality, those kind of factors for each of these components that could, that can give you a cost of delay. That's the business side of that feature. Then the engineering has to look at it saying that, oh, for this, it's going to be uh, large, small, uh, extra large, extra, extra large. or oh, I have no idea how long it's going to take. But that feedback also has to be come together so that all of them can actually see, like what we have the uh, you know, weighted shortage of first concept. So we can put that you know, cost of delay divided by the size of the uh, the job, gives you a ratio number, and then you can compare high, highest ratio number will give you maximum bank for your buck. So then you can size that and say, okay, we can do top three because that's our capacity. Now you're actually getting into the buy-in from the delivery team as well as it's coming from the business team saying, yeah, we are getting the value and yeah, we can do this already. So it's a collaborative way of pulling everybody together. And and then they will realize a lot of things that we do they were running into that they should not have been working on that anyway, right? right from the beginning. So it's a, uh, you know those that the portfolio really needs to be structured down to a point where it is bite-sized and you can actually process through. Otherwise, it becomes watermelon being pushed through the garden hose. Nothing comes out at the other end.
0: <laughs> so yet again, I have lots of thoughts going through my, <laughs> yeah, go my head. You. <laughs> but you correctly describe the cost of delay, and it's important to realize that it's not just a monetary cost. I mean, there is opportunity cost, there are a lot of things, but that also means that these things are not quantifiable in a way that is absolutely correct. There's a lot of judgment that goes into figuring out what the cost is. So by implication, if a few things, um, when you take the magic ratio and you have a few... (laughs) Different things that are similar, then you still need to make a decision about what makes the most sense. You can't say, oh, this is a 3.3 versus a 3.2, so I should do this one first.
1: Right. Well, I think I think that that also helps to you know, as we do with any uh, sizing the stories and stuff like that, it's a relative size to each other. So even with this, well, doing the cost of delay, you can use the features and save uh, business value. This could be one, could be three, could be five, against each other. That comparing is a lot more easier than absolute value. So you you, you might not know whether it's a three $3 million value or, or $5 million or you know, but you could compare them against each other. And that's the idea. And, and I think people are a lot more comfortable comparing instead of uh, putting the absolute value around that. So I think that's when the... Uh, thinking becomes a lot more cleaner, and, and that's how we can you know c- uh, create that whole scale around that. Now we we'll use Fibonacci or whatever the num- numbering scale you like.
0: I was just going to say when I uh, when I train people, I have a slide and it shows a few buildings in a city, and I ask how tall is this building, mm-hmm, mm, and yeah. people say I don't know. It's six hundred feet or four hundred feet. I have no idea, and then I show us the slide builds that I'm really asking for the relative size and that they can always figure out. They always know this one is bigger than that one. Correct. Correct. So correct. as you say, absolute sizing is very difficult, but relative sizing is relatively easy.
1: Yeah. And then all you're doing is comparing those three values against each other and see which one to do first. So, you know, it, it's actually you're trying to get a relative importance of each other. And interesting thing is, as the time goes on, you find out more things about it. So the business value that was thought about was five million dollars is only five hundred thousand. Now all of a sudden the you know different cycle starts. But it's that's how you you manage the portfolio and make sure that you have a way of going forward. And uh, what we call um, I think remember we talked about the hippo, the highest paid person's opinion. That goes out the door, (laughs) because otherwise this becomes a little bit more objective uh, way of looking at
0: things. Definitely. And the other thing you mentioned a few minutes ago is the capacity of the team. Mm. And I think that's also an area where often when we get involved in engagements, companies really struggle to understand that. And it's only through using agile techniques, usually like story pointing or if it's Kanban, the number of items that can be dealt with over a period of time. Right. We get much better at understanding the capacity of the team and then that allows everything else to work because if you don't know how much the team can take on, then you'll just keep piling on more work. Exactly, exactly.
1: And I think the other thing I think we had described in last previous episodes is like you need to look at how much did they promise and how much did they really deliver. So then, you know, that... Say do ratio is a telltale sign whether really what the capacity of that team is. So then instead of mat- trying to match, oh, we are going to deliver 60 point velocity points, that doesn't mean anything. If we say we are going to deliver more than 90% of what we committed, now it make- makes it a lot more relevant. It's relevant to the business, Is relevant to the people who are actually working, delivering, and Uh, Or committing right from the beginning, so it's a. uh, Those are the things when you try to start measuring or how to start planning. Also, that those are the smaller tricks to look at, and then you can start uh, looking at the trends. Are we going from uh, 80 to 70 to 60, 50 percent, or are we going in the right direction? So it's a. That's I think, and I think one of the things that I like about that is. Uh, teams get a little more efficient or more smarter. Uh, so uh, today, they may be doing 60 points. There are, three months from now, they may be doing 160 points. But if you look at the percentage, as long as whatever they commit, they deliver, then that should be consistent way of predictability and those kind of things. So I think that that is a good measure to even start planning when you do the
0: uh, your uh, sprint planning, release planning, whatever you want to do. So that also makes me think about the fact that when you're adopting Agile at scale, every team can have its own way of story pointing. Correct. And so at least the way I think of it, what's important is that the team should be predictable, Correct. that they should commit to a milestone that has whatever reasonable amount of buffering they feel is needed. Right. And then it's all the different teams synchronize according to these milestones where the different deliverables have to come together and not um, you know not based on or worrying about the fact that this team does this many points in a sprint yeah. and that team does a different number because that's it's irrelevant I, it's just about yeah, that team
1: and that's why I like the the program increment planning uh, aspect of uh, SAFe. I don't you know, blindly follow SAFe, but some of those components are really nice in the sense, looking at the, say, one quarter and there are six teams and you plan all the six sprints in there and they will show which team has to do what first because of the cross-functional dependencies. Right. And And then it becomes a lot more visible to everyone as to why things take that long or where are the bottlenecks going to be. I mean, a lot more things can be handled much more easily through that or at least upfront. You can also do the, uh, you know, pivot and scale kind of, let's try this out first, make sure that works and then you can take this out. So having that visibility across all the teams and to the product as well as the you know, delivery team I, that aspect I definitely like. So you need to have that, you know, like a window of uh, things moving as as people start or the team start delivering things.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, so just in case anyone doesn't know, SAFE is the scaled Agile framework. And I definitely agree that the style of planning is one of the crown jewels of that whole uh, framework. Exactly. Exactly.
1: One of the things that I like about that also is that, uh, Uh, You build on cadence and release on demand. So it is is like whatever is ready, you know, it is based on definition of done. It's like whatever is ready, you package it and send it out. You have a cadence to build. And that this whole PIS stuff really emphasizes that cadence is there. You constantly deliver. And then when the release, because of whatever the release schedules are there uh, in the enterprise, you can uh, send it out, whatever is ready to go. And then, you know, that, that works really to everyone's advantage.
0: Yeah, even in Scrum, I have teams that work exactly that way.
1: Mm-hmm. So we, mm-hmm. we have
0: two-week sprints, but if something is ready to go in production in the middle of a sprint, it goes in production. Exactly.
1: Exactly, yeah, because it it is supposed to be production ready. You, know, you, you may not want to, but it is ready. So I think the definition of ready, definition of done are quite important from that point of view. Oh, so yes. as, you, as you were saying earlier, yeah, when you go in there, the these are the the small things that you have to first iron out. Once they are in place, then you can be getting more advanced and creative and those kind of things. But uh, that that's every, I guess, agile coach's responsibility to analyze and evaluate where things are and are they Really, truly agile, or they feel like agile.
0: I think we should bring this one to an end. I hope our listeners don't think that we were just rambling and rambling.
1: (laughs) Okay. All right. Thanks, everyone. Take care. See you next
0: time. Okay. Bye bye.